This morning, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. One of the lessons that we have been learning over the last several weeks is a very important lesson. It's a general lesson, but it's something that we need to bear in mind as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is that sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, on the word alone, to the glory of God alone. The solas of the Reformation show us the, the beauty of the gospel from, from different angles. It's as if we are, are looking at a beautiful diamond and we're looking at the, the, this amazing stone and admiring the beauty. And that's, that's what we do when we learn about the solas of the Reformation. Moreover, the solas of the Reformation remind us in very vivid terms that salvation belongs to whom? Salvation belongs to the Lord, as Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 says. And so with a better understanding of the solas of the Reformation, I want to uh, begin what we'll consider part two of this study that will take us all the way to the end of October. And I want to move forward by looking at several very important implications of the solas of the Reformation. Today I want to argue that we need a reformation of ministry. And that is the title of the message, a reformation of ministry. There's something that we need to understand this morning. That is that prior to the days of the Protestant Reformation, which were uh, birthed, of course, on October 31st, 1517, there existed two very distinct classes of people in the church. And most of you are very aware of this, but the two classes were the clergy... And the laity. The clergy involves the, the priests and the pastors and the professional ministers. The laity involves all the rest. It's kind of like when you think about the Jewish race. There are the Jews and there are the, the Gentiles. If you're not a Gentile, by definition, you're a Jew and vice versa. When you think about the days of the Reformation, you had two distinct classes of people, the clergy and the laity. If you're not a, a part of the laity or the, the, the laos of God, the people of God, then by definition, you're numbered among the clergy. You're either a, a pastor or a priest or a professional minister. The priest you see during the days of the Reformation was what you might call the hired spiritual gun. It was the role of the priest to issue the communion or what the Catholics refer to as the Eucharist, to partake in the, the baptism, to baptize people, to officiate weddings, and to officiate at funerals. And there is a general perception that was a part of the church before the days of the Reformation. And the perception went something like this. I'm either a minister or I'm a receiver of ministry. I'm either a minister, I'm a part of the clergy, or I'm a receiver of that ministry. Scripture tells us something that is altogether different. The Word of God tells us that God's people are a royal priesthood. Notice there is no division between the clergy and the laity. Rather, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a priest. You are a royal priesthood. You are a, a holy nation, as Peter says. 
And so while the reformers during the days of the 16th century Reformation addressed this issue, and of course Martin Luther was at the center of this controversy, my personal opinion is they didn't take it far enough. Is because, and, and the reason I, I want to stress this this morning is that even today in the church, and I would argue even in our own church, that the, the thinking of the Roman Catholic Church has subtly snuck in to Bible-believing churches because in, even in our own church, some of us recognize the division of labor between the clergy and the laity. And here's how it kind of goes in most churches. The pastor is paid to do the work of the ministry. Have you ever heard it said like that? And this is not to get me out of any work or responsibilities in any way, shape, or form or any of the elders, but that is not what the Bible teaches. Rather, the pastor and the elders are called to equip the people of God for what? For the work of the ministry. And so we, we obliterate this distinction between the clergy and the laity. Scripture calls pastors and elders to lead the people of God, to feed the people of God, to protect the people of God, to love the people of God. We're called to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. So this morning, I want to preach a message that will be a, a very, very practical and personal message. I want to challenge you this morning to, to serve in the kingdom of God. I want to challenge you to, to roll up your sleeves, to get your hands dirty, to move your feet, and, and move into the battle if you're not there yet. For those of you who are currently serving, and many of you are, if you're currently serving, I want to encourage you to continue to serve all to the glory of God. I want you to evaluate your motives in ministry and take stock of your motives in ministry and determine how you can best Serve the people of God, serve your community, and glorify the living God. For those of you who are not yet serving, my simple plea would be this, to get involved. To get involved. And before I forget, I want to say something very personal to those of you who are older and may be considered uh, someone who can't do as much as you like to previously. And I talk to people from time to time who say, Pastor, I, I wish I could be involved in youth ministry. I wish I could, I could go to this function or that function, but I can't, I can't get out at night. I don't have the energy. I'm just, I, I've come to the point in my life I'm just too old. I want to say if you're in that category that you can still exercise your gifts. And the primary way I see you exercising your gifts is to pray, to pray. And this is a means of encouragement because I never want anyone to feel like because they're, they're older, because they're, they're less able to do what they used to be able to do in their younger years, that you're somehow sent to the, the margins of ministry. Nothing could be further from the truth. Is we greatly value your ministry of prayer. And that doesn't happen, have to happen here on campus at Christ Fellowship. It happens in your home. It happens wherever the Lord would take you. And so we, we ask that you would continue to pray for the ministry here at Christ Fellowship. I want you to think this morning about this, this idea of ministry in the local church and to recognize as you read through the pages of the New Testament that the idea of a Christian who does not serve is foreign to the pages of the New Testament. 
It's just simply, it, it would flabbergast the apostles to think about a Christian who was not using their spiritual gifts. But somewhere along the way, a consumer mentality crept into the church. And this consumer mentality puts a huge burden on those who obediently serve. It goes something like this. You have the group of people in the body of Christ who serve, and then you have a a, a smaller group over here who doesn't exercise their spiritual gifts. What it does, it, it puts unnecessary burden, an unnecessary burden on those who are serving faithfully. But more important than that, it actually puts you, it puts you in a position where you stand in defiance of the living God who has given you, as we will see this morning, at least one spiritual gift. Some of you have many spiritual gifts that were given to you when you became a Christian. So I want to encourage you with, with your Bibles open to look with me at 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want to invite you to stand as we read these words. And while we're going to focus exclusively on verses 10 and 11, I want to read the context for you, beginning in verse 7. Before I read these words, I want to say something really quick while you're still standing. Don't you feel like we take the word of God for granted sometimes? As we read the word of God this morning, remember there was a time in church history when most of the people in the church had no idea what the priest was talking about. Because the Bible was in Latin and a lot of the people in the pews didn't read Latin. And so they're dependent on the priest to tell them the truth. One additional observation, and I realize I should have just let you sit while I said these things. It's good. It gets the blood flowing, right? The other observation is this, is before the days of the Reformation, the sermon was not central to the worship service. The Eucharist was. And Luther changed all that. And so expository preaching began to be at the center of the worship service. And we continue to be recipients of that legacy this day. Look at verse 7. God's word says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep on loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied gift, God's grace, rather. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Fathers, we continue this study, always reforming. We thank you for uh, the great heritage that we are recipients of now. We thank you for the heroes of the faith who restored the expository sermon to where it ought to be in the worship service. We thank you for men like William Tyndale who translated the word of God in English so that we can read it, so that we can understand it. And God, I pray that as we discuss this very important issue today, a reformation of ministry, that you'd mobilize many people, that there would be people today who have been seated on the sidelines who have a desire to get back in the game or to to get in the game for the first time, to use the spiritual gifts that you have given them. So would you encourage your people? Would you motivate them uh, to do good things and good works all to the glory of God so that Jesus Christ would be honored and praised in Jesus name. Amen. 
The question I want to focus on is just a, a very basic question this morning, and that is, what is our responsibility to one another in the church, and what is our responsibility when it comes to serving God in His kingdom? The answer to that very basic question is found in a, a very tight argument that Peter the Apostle develops in verses 10 and 11. And there's a three-part answer to this important question. The first part of the answer is found in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The first part of the answer is, is simple. It goes something like this. We are called to exercise our spiritual gifts. We are called to exercise our spiritual gifts. As I hinted at a moment ago, God gives a broad range of spiritual gifts that he intends are to be exercised in the context of the local church. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Now, hold your finger in 1 Peter 4 and look with me back at the book of, in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 12, Paul says something that I, I think is, is fascinating and frankly very helpful as we look at this study together. Romans chapter 6, or Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 6, he says this Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Isn't that cool? So we have been given gifts, and we're going to explore that more in just a moment. He says, let us use them. That is, let us use the spiritual gifts that God has given us. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In the book of Ephesians that we will turn our attention to beginning in the month of November, Paul says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers. And of course, as we alluded to earlier, the pastors and the elders are called upon to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. Suffice it to say, the first part of the answer to the question is we're called to exercise our gifts. Now, notice four important, four important aspects of exercising these spiritual gifts. I would call these the four R's. The first R is this. We are called to recognize the origin of our gifts. We must recognize the origin of our gifts. If you look back at verse 10, we see that each one has what? Received a gift. Each one has received a gift. The, the Greek grammar there is very interesting. The grammar suggests that there is a point in time when the Christ follower received his or her gift. And what's interesting about this receiving of the gift is this, is, and this comes as a shock to some people. Did you know that you don't pray to receive your spiritual gift? You look around across the landscape of churches, especially in America, and you see a very specific kind of a church, and I've heard this often throughout my Christian journey, is the plea is to pray to God to give a Christian a spiritual gift. And nothing could be further from the truth. 
You don't pray to receive a spiritual gift. You do not ask God to receive a spiritual gift. You do not plead with God to give you a spiritual gift. Some of you know that I do not have the gift of mercy. Some of you say, yeah, no kidding. Well, I really wish I had the gift of mercy. Did you know that I can't pray to receive it? And the reason is because when I became a Christian in 1974, on that specific moment when I became a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit gave me at least one gift. And I do know this. It wasn't mercy. And so my responsibility is not to ask God to give me the gift of mercy. I can certainly ask to be more merciful, help me to be more merciful. But in terms of receiving the gift, that's a gift I didn't receive. That's a gift I will never possess. Each Christ follower receives at least one spiritual gift. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, and when did you receive the Holy Spirit? At the moment you became a Christian. There is no second blessing. There isn't no, there, there, there is no second filling. There is one time in your Christian life when you come in faith and repentance to God. When Jesus comes into your life, when he comes into your heart, when he takes residence in your life, you receive the Holy Spirit and you receive at least one spiritual gift. Now, your gift is entrusted to you according to God's sovereign pleasure. Once again, hold your finger in 1 Peter chapter 4 and go back to the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'd urge you to to turn to 1 Corinthians so you can look at this verse with your own eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is one of those passages I'm convinced that gets overlooked by many people. And it's one that we dare not overlook. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 11, Paul says, That all these are empowered. And by the way, the context here is spiritual gifts. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually. Here's the key. As he wills. And so when I became a Christian, God gave me at least one spiritual gift sovereignly. When you became a Christian, God gave you at least one spiritual gift. Some of you have many spiritual gifts, but those are given at the At the pleasure of God. He is the one who has the prerogative. He gives you his gift, your gift for his glory. And so we remember the origin of our gift. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the second R, we remember the meaning of our spiritual gifts. We remember the meaning of our spiritual gifts. Back in 1 Peter 4 verse 10. As each one has received a gift... And I love to share this with my Baptist brothers and sisters. This is just incredible. This word gift is the word charis. That might not be in a whole lot to you, but charis is where we get the phrase charismatic. Isn't that great? I love to tell Baptists that. Charismatic. What is charis? Charis simply means this, gift of grace. My wife started a ministry in our previous church to help children in the community who couldn't afford clothing and other necessities. And the, the, the name of that ministry was Gifts of Grace. And that is a specific word that comes from this word here in verse 10, charis. Each one has received a gift. Now, a spiritual gift is defined as follows. It is any ability that that is empowered by the Holy Spirit that is used in any ministry of the church. 
That's a spiritual gift. In verse 11, we see that there are two very broad categories of gifts. And this is a, a bit of a, a, a bombshell to some people. It's, it's really encouraging. Verse 11, whoever speaks is the one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And you can see these general categories emerge. The first category is speaking gifts, speaking gifts, just for fun. And I promise, I, I, there won't be any follow-up for those of you that raise your hands. How many of you, when I say that you're going to be asked, you're going to be called upon to say something publicly, that just sends shivers up your spine and you would just assume not be here? Raise your hand if that would be you. Wow. Keep your hands up. And everyone kind of look around. Almost half. Isn't that fascinating? What's the number one fear of all the... It's not snakes, although it should be. <laughs> it's not spiders, although it should be, and it's not heights, or it should be, right? Those are three things I don't like at all, right? Nothing. Les is down here shaking his head because nothing. You're not afraid of anything, are you, Les? You go up to the top of that ladder and put the lights in. The number one fear in America is what I'm doing right now public speaking. That will just send. Fear in the heart of many, many people. Yet the Bible says that the first category of gifts is speaking gifts. And you say, great, I'm in big trouble. Half of us just raised our hands and says, we don't want to do that. What does that involve? It involves teaching, preaching, exhortation, using one's mouth in in a public way to communicate the truths of God's word. For those of you that raise your hand, my suspicion is... You have the other broad category of gifts, and that is serving gifts, serving gifts, which includes gifts like giving and leading and mercy and administration and helps. Just looking around at some of you who raise your hands, and you know who you are, you raise your hands and some of you are involved in ministry that no one even knows about. You work behind the scenes, but you're doing things that are very very important. Right now, there's, there's two ministries that are taking place that I would consider serving gifts that are very important that we couldn't pull off what we do if it weren't for these individuals. You have the Herringa boys upstairs running PowerPoint. And you have Jordan Blankers upstairs running the soundboard. Those are two very important gifts that we need to have exercised here at Christ Fellowship. More on that later, because I'm going to make a plea at the end of the service for help in those two areas. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, there are some rare people who have gifts in both of those areas. They have speaking gifts. They have serving gifts. They have gifts that have been given them by the Holy Spirit. So we remember the origin of our gifts. We remember the meaning of our gifts. Thirdly, we remember the purpose of our spiritual gifts. And the purpose of our spiritual gifts is very, very important. Our gifts are designed to, to manifest the power and the presence of God. Now you think about the, the Herringas and Jordan. Right now, they are exercising their gifts to manifest the power and the presence of God. And it's behind the scenes. And it's, and by the way, Jordan, thank you. And to the Herringer boys, thank you so much for your faithful ministry. And all the rest of you who are involved in that ministry on the tech team. Our gifts are designed to manifest the power and the presence 
of God. Let me give you one example. At the end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, let me read about the Apostle Paul. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him. Now notice what he's doing, and you, you tell me which gifts Paul has been given. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Obviously, Paul the Apostle has speaking gifts. And these speaking gifts are designed to manifest the power and the presence of God. Additionally, your gift, your spiritual gifts, are designed to strengthen the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the gifts that God has given me, the gifts that God has given you, is he is calling us to exercise those gifts here in the household of faith for the common good of all. Paul says at the beginning of Romans, I long to see you, speaking to the believers in Rome, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by yours and mine. Can you imagine receiving that that letter from the Apostle Paul. How many of you, you don't need to raise your hands, but would you have been excited to get that letter from Paul? Like, hey, he's coming. He's coming and he's going he's gonna to teach us the word of God. He's going to preach to us. I mean, what could be more exciting than hearing Paul the Apostle preach? This is incredible news. And so what did he do? He used his speaking gifts to build up the body, to encourage the body, to manifest the power and the presence of a holy God. Now, here's the question. And it's on many of your minds. Pastor, how do I determine what my spiritual gift is? And here's kind of the default position that many people have taken over the last 10 or 15 years. Is you go to your computer and you type G-O-O-G-L-E. Right? You're going to Google it. You're going to find your spiritual gift by going to Google and you're going to type in spiritual gifts analysis and you're going to find several online tests where you're going to answer a series of questions. And what's going to happen is at the end of that test, Google is going to tell you, Spence, you have the spiritual gift of leadership. And Spence is like, wow, I know. Well, that's great. Well, I'm so glad I Googled that today. There's a built-in weakness of this approach because if you're not honest with the way you answer the questions, you can be like me and, and answer all the mercy kinds of questions. Oh, yeah, I'm really merciful. I'm, you know, I, I love to hug people. I love to come alongside and say, oh, it's going to be okay. And you're like, well, that's not you, right? And so if you're not honest, if you're not a, totally transparent, the, the results can be skewed. And so there's some, there's some worth, I believe, in taking those, those inventories. But there's four additional things I want to encourage you to do. Number one, how do I determine my gift? Pray. Pray, not for the gift, but ask God, God, which, which gift or which gifts have you given me? Ask God for help in determining your gift. Number two, passion. Passion. What is it that energizes you in ministry? Let me do an experiment. If I said at the end of the service, we're going to sign everyone up to work with two and, two and three-year-olds, some of you would be going out the side door, right? You're like, that's, well, you know, that's not your passion. Some of you, however, are passionate about that. 
And you would love to spend your time with two and three-year-olds. That's one way to gauge where your giftedness lies. Number three, people. People. Seek confirmation from other people. And so, for instance, if you're helping in youth ministry and you have a chance to teach a Bible study, you're going to go to BJ and you're going to go to Kayleen, you're going to go to Tim and you're going to go to Rhonda, you're going to go to Jordan, you're going to say, how did, how, did, how did I do? How did it come across? And if you dropped a, a bomb, then it's going to be the leader's responsibility to put their arm around you and be merciful and say, well, you know, brother, I, I know you really tried, but maybe we'll have you try something else, right? And we have to have the courage and the integrity to have those kinds of conversations. And so you come alongside and you ask godly people for confirmation of where your giftedness lies. And then finally, practice, practice, work at developing your spiritual gift, work at developing your spiritual gift. I actually heard a pastor say several years ago that for the average pastor, it takes four to 500 sermons to begin to finally start tracking. Like, oh, wow, four to 500. In other words, it takes practice, whether it's in youth ministry, whether it's in children's ministry, whether it's on the facilities ministry action team, whether it's on the the care ministry action team, uh, whether it's in jam, plugging in a ministry takes time and practice day after day after day of, of repeating these kinds of things to learn and grow together for the glory of God. There's a fourth thing. There's a fourth R I want to alert you to, and that is rejoice in sharing your spiritual gifts. Rejoice in sharing your spiritual gifts. When we faithfully, eagerly, and joyfully share the gifts that God has sovereignly given to us, we show ourselves to be God's good stewards of his grace. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look with me at verse 10. We've kind of skipped over something that we we need to focus on. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. By the way, the word serve there is a word that essentially means to, to minister to one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. That word varied is a really cool word in the Greek. It means this, multicolored. And so as you exercise your, your gifts that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly given you, what do you do? You, you, you show off how great God's grace is, his multicolored, his multifaceted grace. When we show the world what kind of a, a, a God we serve, things happen in the community. When God's grace spreads in the church, things begin to permeate in the community. When we give 640 some dollars to Everson Elementary for, for children that couldn't afford to play soccer, things begin to happen in the community. What a, what a great way to show our love to those children at Everson Elementary. Now, there are some consequences, I might add, for failing to exercise your gift. And the first one is, is one that should go without saying. If you fail to exercise your gift... You, you miss out on a huge blessing. You miss out on a huge blessing. Second, the people of God miss out on a huge blessing. And the one that's the most severe point that I must share with you is that you disobey God and you demonstrate poor stewardship. And that's exactly what 1 Peter 4.10 says, that if you've received a gift, use it to, to minister to one another as God's good stewards of his varied grace. If you refuse 
to exercise your spiritual gift, you stand in defiant opposition to God's good purposes. So number one, we exercise our gift. Number two, in verse 11, we are told to exercise our gift in the strength that God provides. Look at it with me. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. As we look at the second point, exercising your gift in God's strength, I want to share with you two very important aspects of effective ministry. Two very important aspects of effective ministry. One is found, you can see it quickly in verse 11, is we must rely on God for effective ministry to take place. All ministry must be grounded in God. That is, we must depend, as Peter says, on the strength that God supplies. The word strength there is, comes from a Greek word that is translated the power of God. And here's the amazing thing that just, that just sent a shiver up my spine as I studied this passage. The same power. The same power that drew you to saving faith in Jesus Christ. What do we know about that power? This is a massive, sovereign, amazing power of God that, that, that turned a dead sinner into a saint, right? The same power that delivered you from the power of sin and the penalty of sin, that same power also enables our feet and our hands and our ears and our mouths and our eyes and our heart and our minds for ministry. That same power makes us effective ministers. And so we rely on God to fuel our ministry and to also sustain our ministry by his grace and by his grace alone. Something else we need to see is that we need to resist the temptation to minister in the flesh. That's a fancy way of saying resist the temptation to do it in your own strength. Any ministry that depends on our own resources will simply not be effective. Any ministry that depends on the flesh, simply put, will not glorify God. There's a very interesting story in 1 Samuel 15. You don't need to turn there, but this is the story when Saul... You remember King Saul? He, he, he is actually anointed as king of Israel. And one of the things that God tells him to do is to wipe out the Amalekites. You remember this story? He's told to wipe out the Amalekites. And what happens? Saul partially obeys. He wipes out the Amalekites, but he spares King Agag and he spares the best of the livestock. And I... Uh, almost every time I read this, I, I read those words and Samuel says, what, what is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? What happens? Saul relies on the flesh and it costs him dearly. It costs him dearly. It costs him the kingdom. You see, when we serve in the flesh, when we do it in our own strength, when we serve in the flesh, we showcase our pride. We tell the world, we tell the, our fellow uh, believers in the church how good we are instead of how good God is. When we serve in the flesh, we, we turn the spotlight on ourselves. When we serve in the flesh, we fail to honor the living God. And so God is calling us to exercise our gifts in the strength that he supplies. 
The third part of the answer to this question is that we are called to exercise our gifts for the glory of God. We are called to exercise our gifts for the glory of God. And we see this at the the end of verse 11. This is what I like to refer to as the crescendo of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. The passage comes to a crescendo in the middle of verse 11. We were alerted to this crescendo by the appearance of three little words. Now, these are three little words that you would not, you would not associate with crescendo, right? These are just very basic words, but I want to have you look at these. I believe we have this on the screen as well and also in your notes. It says, verse 11, whoever speaks is the one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, who serves by the strength that God supplies. Here's the indication of crescendo. In order that. Isn't that something? Who would have thought that God would use those three little words to show us that we've reached the top of Mount Everest in this argument? Because the words in order that come, come from a little Greek word. It's the word hina. It's called a Hena Clause in the Greek, and the Hena Clause always alerts us to the purpose. What is the purpose of all we've learned thus far? The purpose is this, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Simply put, good stewards exercise their gift. They exercise their gift and the strength that God supplies for this purpose and this person alone, this purpose alone, that God would receive the glory. That in everything, God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. And so when we minister with our hearts as unto the Lord, God is greatly glorified. When the body of Christ is encouraged and strengthened and edified and equipped, God is greatly glorified. When we exercise our God-given gifts, we redistribute the grace of God, which means that God is greatly glorified. A verse that I've shared many times from this pulpit occurs in 2 Corinthians 4.15. It says, For it is for your sake, so as grace extends to more and more people. So here's the grace extending to more and more people on the horizontal plane. Is this grace is extended to more and more people. And what this looks like is the, the tone and the tenor of this sermon today. As grace is extended to more and more people, and that means you're exercising your spiritual gift in the strength that God supplies what happens? It may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. I want to ask the young people, what should I do with my hands at this point? We're on the horizontal. Grace is being distributed and redistributed to the glory of God. What happens to the glory of God? What do I do with my hands? You got it. It's like this. Now it's like this. So we're using the gifts that God has supplied for his glory in the strength that he supplies. And what happens? Second Corinthians says that it may increase the thanksgiving to the glory of God. What's the bottom line? What is our responsibility to one another in the church and in God's kingdom? And the answer is that healthy Christians, healthy Christ followers, exercise their gifts in God's strength for God's glory. Now, there's some very important implications of embracing this reality. The net results of obedience, first of all, in the church, is if we obey what Peter is telling us here in 1 Peter 4, God's people 
will be encouraged. They will be equipped and they will be edified. Moreover, God's people will be emboldened and they will be empowered to serve. Also in the community, when we exercise our spiritual gifts and the strength that God supplies all to the glory of God, the people in the community will have their needs met. People will meet Jesus. Their sins will be forgiven. They will hear the gospel. They will respond to the gospel. They will turn to Jesus. They will, they will repent of their sins and their lives will be forever transformed. The bottom line of obedience is this. As we look at verses 10 and 11, if we collectively embrace this reality as a church, God will be greatly glorified. Now, there's a so what at the end of this message. And the so what is two very important questions. Number one, have you identified your spiritual gift or your spiritual gifts? Some of you would say, boy, pastor, I've been a Christ follower for for quite some time, and I don't know what it is. The purpose of this sermon is not to make you feel guilty. The purpose of this sermon is to motivate you. And so have you, have you discovered, have you determined, have you identified what your spiritual gift is? Secondly, if you have determined what your spiritual gifts are, are you exercising that gift? Are you exercising the gifts that the Holy Spirit has sovereignly given you? I believe that when we, when we exercise our gifts and the strength that God supplies, we will begin to see a reformation in ministry. You see, we live in a, in a very exciting point in church history. We have the opportunity in 2017 to do things that weren't happening in 1516, before the days of the Reformation. You have the opportunity to exercise your gifts as priests of God, a holy nation. We obliterate the the distinction between clergy and laity, and we together lock arms and exercise our gifts and the strength that God supplies all for the glory of God. Then and only then will we begin to see a reformation in ministry. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that uh, your people this morning would be uh, motivated, that they, they, they would be challenged. Uh, for those who are already exercising their gifts and the strength that God supplies, that uh, you would encourage them, that they would have a desire to continue to, to obey you in keeping with your word, and that those who have, are not exercising their gifts, those who have not even determined what their gifts are, that the, the process of discovery would begin right now. And that even as we have a, a time of uh, very uh, practical application at the end of today's message, that uh, many people would begin to explore what it means to exercise their gifts all for the glory of God. And so we ask for a reformation of ministry, not only at Christ Fellowship, but here in our community, that people would see and savor the Lord Jesus Christ, that people would uh, use their gifts Uh, faithfully and obediently so many people would hear the gospel so that many people would turn from their sins and, and trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be delivered from the power and penalty of sin. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.